This is Curiosity Killed It, where we take sayings and phrases you hear all the time and probably ruin them for the rest of your life. Sam picks a saying, proverb, idiom, and springs it on my unsuspecting ass. Then we'll talk about what it means, how people use it, and what we would change to keep it relevant today. So Alex, is this a podcast on etymology? Nope, I don't know what that means, and we'll probably talk about whatever we want anyway. Risk it to get the biscuit. Uh, such a good saying. Again, I feel like this is one of those modern ones. And this one came from Christine, I think, on Instagram. So, raw take. Sometimes you got to put it all on the line if you want the best outcome. But I feel like this is just a saying that's got thrown around in like pop culture, modern culture in like the last 10 years. Totally. So yeah, this is one that you sent me that was a recommendation, which is awesome. I'm so stoked that we're getting those. Keep them coming. And you're right. Yeah, it's modern. The earliest publication of it I could find was from 1966 in an Irish newspaper. And it's not even clear whether they were writing down a common saying or if they came up with it. So no one really knows where it actually came from. Invented 1966 Ireland. (laughs) Right. So it's been thrown a lot around a lot for sure. I hear it often. What are your thoughts on this saying? Do you use it? I feel like I'd probably use this when I'm drunk. <laughs> like I, I might throw, you know, totally. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like full send, risk it to get the biscuit. <laughs> I, I, other, other than that, like I don't. Yeah, I don't use this one that often. I actually like. Part of me is like, where, where does this even come from? Like, why is the biscuit the thing to get? Is this like, a, like, is a biscuit like a cookie? Like, is this like? kind of like a children's saying, like you got to risk it to get the small reward. Like where's biscuit come from? Yeah. So it's not specific. Like I couldn't find anything specific as to where the actual term comes from other than the fact that a biscuit is a reward that you might give a person and it rhymes with risk it. (laughs) So risk it, biscuit, ta-da. So I think it was more about the convenience of the rhyme than anything else. And obviously because that's what we do here is I have to poke into that. And be like, is a biscuit a great reward for putting something on the line? Like, if I'm going to risk it to get the biscuit, do I really want to go full send on a risk to to get a mild reward? <laughs> right. I think when I read the definition of this, it'll become clear why the word biscuit is not very important. Okay. So the definition is to take a risk for the chance of some benefit or reward. So as you'll notice in that definition, the word biscuit just leaves. It, it's just a representation of a reward. Right. So you have to risk it for reward. And biscuit just sounds better than reward. And in some situations, like for my dog, I might give my dog a biscuit. Here's a reward, dog. She'll risk it for sure. Oh, she would risk most things for a biscuit. (laughs) Absolutely. So when I first read this from the recommendation, the question that I had for myself is, do I actually know what risk is? Whoa. Go on. Right? What is risk? Do you know? I'm curious. When I say, what is risk? What do you think? Man, that's such a hard question. Right. It shouldn't be though, right? I know because we we say it all the time. I mean, we talk about it on this show all the time. But when you frame it as like, what's risk? It's a board game. Yeah. (laughs) I asked my wife when I was looking at the saying and trying to come up with ideas and looking it up and stuff. And she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm reading about risk. And she was like, the board game? (laughs) No, no. Risk itself. I'm... Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a take a shot at defining risk. Yeah. Risk is the measure. Oh man, this is one of those things where like it's so hard to say something without saying the thing in your description of it, of your in your definition. Yeah. The measure of how 
dangerous or ugh, dangerous seems very harsh here, but it's a measure of how dangerous an outcome will be if you were to perform the action. You're pretty close. So here's the crazy thing about this word is that there are many definitions and there's an international standard definition. And then there are different definitions depending on your profession. And then there are just like complete disagreements on the concept entirely. The simplest definition I could find, which is the international standard, is that risk is the effect of uncertainty on objectives. Okay. So if you have an objective, the risk is the thing you're unsure about. So it's kind of like saying risk is the unknown between here and there. Saying unknown is actually kind of extreme because some people would say that risk and uncertainty are different things. True. I actually would probably be one of those people. (laughs) Right. So uncertainty would be, I have no idea. I'm going to walk across this bridge and I have no idea what my chances are. Risk would be, well, there's this percentage chance that this will happen, or there's this percentage chance that this will happen, and I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to walk into it knowing these possible outcomes. Whereas uncertainty would be, I'm going to just go ahead ignorantly and see what happens. That's a really good point. I take back what I said. Mine was, that was a bad way of describing that. Because yeah, uncertainty is, I don't know what's going to happen, so do I do it, yes or no? After I, I decide like yes or no on not knowing, now I'm evaluating the risk. The not knowing has nothing to do with the risk involved. Right. I guess it could, but the act of not knowing is not the risk. Exactly. Because you could know every possible outcome to a situation and based on all of those variables still there's a risk that the wrong one or the one you don't want to happen could happen now would you also consider this risk because this is the other debate among risk definers not risk defiers risk definers people who are trying to define risk (laughs) let's say i want to i'm just going to keep using this bridge imagery because it seems to be working let's say i'm going to cross this bridge There is a risk that the bridge will collapse and I will fall to my death. There is also a risk that along the bridge, I will discover something and will become incredibly wealthy for that discovery. But my objective is just to get across the bridge alive. So there's this question of downside risks and upside risks. Interesting that risk is being used to define both ends of that. Because I feel like in modern day society, we use risk as a definition of downside potential, not necessarily a definition of upside potential. I guess like maybe if you're a professional poker player, you disagree, but. My thought is if you're including downside risk and upside risk, then this saying kind of falls apart. Because then it actually means nothing. (laughs) Well, so I don't know, because if the biscuit is your objective, you have to risk something worse happening to maybe get the biscuit. But you also have to risk something better happening to maybe get the biscuit. So risk it to get the biscuit by this current definition is I'm either risking something worse than it and I'm getting up into it. But without defining it, I could be risking something better and I'm falling back to it. Yeah. (laughs) So either way, whether something good comes of it or something bad comes of it, risk is the effect of uncertainty on your objective, positive or negative. So it's Anything that is not your objective that could come from what you're about to do. What do the peoples on the internet say about this? You said we got a lot of risk debaters out there. Where are people leaning on this? Oh, all over the place. Some people say that uh, upside (laughs) risks aren't a thing and that that's no longer risk. Whereas a 
risk management consultant would would disagree because we've talked about it before. Like when you implement something and you're measuring the outcome, you should consider the positive changes that might occur and the negative changes that might occur and the one that you want, right? Like there's, I feel like there's three things here. There's the outcome that you want. Then there's all the outcomes that you don't want. And also all the outcomes that are actually better than what you want. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. And I think the reason why many people don't look at upside risk is because that thing you said where it's like, what do I want? I feel like, and this might be like a more recent thing, is we tend to set our sights incredibly high. Mm. So we usually put ourselves like all the way at the top. And then we just view like, if we don't get there, then like something happened. And that was like the risk and like, the risk is sliding down from perfect where the risk management guy is saying, Hey, like perfect is an illusion. Yes. We're aiming for here. We might be a bit better. We might be a bit worse. Right. I think that's why people don't view risk as like, I I think that's why people don't talk about upside risk so much is because like, I always want perfect and I'm scaling down from that. I think you're right. Yeah. We're all shooting for the stars and hitting the moon when the risk management person is aiming for the moon but there's a little chance you might get to the stars. I don't know if that's the best one though. Cause like if we're going to send someone to the moon, you probably don't want to miss, you know, you don't want to be a little bit closer out to the stars than the moon. <laughs> probably pretty, probably pretty screwed. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a pretty small mistake that would be required for that to happen. Exactly. A little tiny degree off, off balance and you miss the moon and Hey, maybe for someone that's an upside risk, but probably not for NASA. Do you find yourself doing that? Like, do you find yourself striving for, Let's not say perfection because I, I think I've covered it on this show before. It's like, I actually think perfection is an illusion. You can't get there. But do you find yourself like when you're setting goals or like you, you set out to do a project that you set your expectations or your goal super high where you don't actually, like I, I definitely do this is I, I feel like where I set it, I don't actually see myself going much past that. I'm setting it at like the absolute upper bound of what I can do. It depends on what type of goal I'm setting and why I'm setting it. So if I'm setting a goal that will is one step in a process to a greater goal, that incremental goal might be very, very small. The end is the stars, but right now I'm aiming at the blades of grass on my front yard. <laughs> one foot in front of the other. Exactly. I'm setting a goal that I know I can achieve so that I have that little bit of momentum to go into the next goal, which would be a little bit higher. And then, yeah, I do leave myself open to a possibility of a range of outcomes but I'm obviously aiming for the the best. Agreed. I definitely do that too. When you're setting goals for yourself, what about when you're committing a goal to someone else? And like, let's put it, let's put another constraint on this. You're, you're, and again, I feel like where people do this, where they overstate more is a work situation. I'm saying to my boss what they should expect of me. I'm probably pretty firmly against the popular culture on this, but I am a big fan of under promise over deliver. I, would rather like I know myself enough to know that I'm pretty scattered. And if I make a commitment to someone that is at the edge of my ability, there's so many things that could happen between now and my completion of that, that would make me let them down. So if I set a goal that is reasonably within my ability, where I know I can probably do better than it, I would rather commit to the thing I can do better than, and then actually try and do better than it, than commit to my max and fall short. I 100% agree. Setting a goal that's realistic and achievable, but maybe a stretch. And like, again, it comes down to the situation. If it's like, hey, can I get that? Can you get this done for me on Thursday? And you go, 
yes, because like I know I'm actually going to get it done today on Sunday and I have four days of buffer. I'm like, yeah, I can 100% commit to that. Yeah. Versus like, I'm trying to think of like a job, like let's say like a social media manager and like, Sam, you're starting at my, you're starting at my company and I'm like, I want you to build us a TikTok cult following. <laughs> how many, how many followers can you get us to? And like, you don't know yet. And like, I don't really know yet. And I go like, we want 30,000 followers by the end of the month. And like, I feel like people are like, if that's the expectation, then like, I will just go for it. And you just say yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I think a lot of people would just say, yes, let's do it. Or let's try. I feel like that's the key word there. So they're like, yeah, let's try. Yeah. I feel like we've talked about that a bit in fake it till you make it. I have been in situations before where I've committed to something that I wasn't actually sure I could do, but I knew that that thing was possible. Whereas with like, let's get to 30,000 followers in a span of time. If you ask me that right now, I don't actually know if that's possible. So if I don't know that it's possible, I would say, well, how about we take some time and I'll figure out what our goal should be <laughs> because I don't even know if that's possible yet. So you wouldn't just risk it to get the biscuit there. I am a pretty calculated person. I rarely take risks that I haven't assessed. Okay. So saying something like, yeah, let's do it when I don't even know if that's possible yet or someone else has done it yet, it would depend how much that person is going to hold me to that commitment. The word try would be very important there for me. Yeah. So would you say, would you say you're a more risk averse person or are you risk tolerant? So again, this, this comes down to how much assessment of the risk you're taking. Like I'm risk tolerant because I assess my risks, right? Like I think what can happen, how likely is it to happen? And if it does happen, what are the consequences? So I take risks that other people might not, but I really spend my time to make sure I understand every possible or as many possible outcomes as I can. So I have a, a mental exercise for assessing risk. It's a bit morbid. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy, but this would be like the ultimate risk it to get the biscuit. This is like my favorite thing to ask people when I'm drunk and I want to start like a rando conversation. Amazing. So Sam, how much would I have to pay you to play Russian roulette with a five chamber gun? You couldn't. Couldn't? Yeah. Okay. I value my life more than money. Okay. Is there anything not money that could be given to make you play? Guaranteed success and prosperity for my family and loved ones. Okay. <laughs> Guaranteed success and prosperity for your family and loved ones, including yourself? No. Okay. So even if you hit the 20% and die on this, you want it to be guaranteed to them that that will continue regardless of if you are there or not. Yes. See, this is, this is such an interesting one to me because it's like the, the answer that you gave is, is a very, I'd say like 50% of people that I asked this question to give the, there is no amount of money. I value my life too highly to play at like any at any percentage, even if you start to lower it down from 20% to like 10% or 5%, people still don't want to play. Then there's the other 50% who are probably more in like my camp on like, oh, like when am I going to get a 20% like an 80% chance at some amount of money? It's like people play the lottery every single day. Yep. At a 0.00000, again, they're not gambling with their life, but they're taking, like they're paying to play with those types of odds versus like, hey, Alex, 
$500 million to play, like 80% chance of $500 million. If I take away the gun and the life thing, you're like, oh, that's a no brainer. It's just like, what are you willing to risk on the other end of that? You can go on for hours on this. Like this is a very, this is that type of question. There's like so many pieces to this and you can just keep on going around. I won't, but it's very interesting to see how people evaluate risk and what they're willing to put on the line and like what that biscuit actually needs to be to like to really take a risk. I think that the thought of what other people will think with my decision impacts what I would how I would decide. So like if I pull that trigger and I, there's the 20% chance that I die and I die, I want my family to go, "Oh, well he did it for us," you know, like <laughs> Not like this was some selfish act and he's now gone and we were without him. Like there's some element of that that plays into it for me, for sure. Fascinating. Now, something that kind of ties into that, there is a study. It's an old older study from the 70s that says that people seem willing to accept risks from voluntary activities like skiing or driving 1,000 times greater than they tolerate with involuntary activities like food preservatives or vaccines or flying on a plane, even if they provide the same level of benefit at the end. So there's this element of people will take a greater risk if they think they have control. If I'm deciding on it, I will take a thousand times greater risk. And I think that that is simply summed up when you do the math on car accident fatalities. I think people just aren't fully knowledgeable of what risks they're taking on a daily basis. Walking out your front door. Yeah. It's a risk. Staying inside's a risk. Everything's a risk. Everything is a risk. Absolutely. So what that, what that means was with your question, if you get to load the gun and you get to spin the, the chamber and pull the trigger, people are more likely to take the risk than if someone else is loading the gun, spinning the barrel, pulling the trigger. Interesting. Yeah. What's, what's the other the other ones? Like when someone... So when we do decide to take a risk, we are never more confident in our decision than like right after we made it. And if you go to like that lottery ticket thing is, I mean, I bought a lot. <laughs> my dad used to, my dad used to call lottery tickets indirect taxation of the poor. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's a whole other can of worms, but like every single time, there's a convenience store right beside my house. And every single time that gets up to like 60 million plus I buy a ticket. Right. And the first thing that happens, like as soon as you take that ticket and you put it in your wallet, it's like, what if? Like, right. I, yeah. I know it's a 0.0000000 whatever percent chance of that happening. But at the moment I buy that, like it's still a very small chance, but it's a lot higher than what it actually is in the moment I buy that. Then I take it home and like I, I sit on it for a bit and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Nothing's going to happen. But in that moment, I'm thinking about all my vacations. Well, the odds between before you bought the ticket and after you bought the ticket are different, right? The odds before you bought the ticket are zero. And it's a little bit better. And now. it's a little bit better now that you have it. It just feels a lot better than it actually is in terms of scale. Here's another risk question for you. And there's a, there's a math component to this, but like even when people understand the math, they still don't want to take it. I forget what this problem is actually called, but there's basically three doors there's a prize behind one. And I ask you to pick one of the doors. You pick one. Say you pick door number one. And I go, okay, you pick door number one, Sam. Look, door number three has nothing behind it. You now have door number one and door number two. 
Do you want to change doors? Yes, I do. And I'm assuming you know why you want to change doors. I, I do, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it seems counterintuitive, but it's really easy once you understand. So the thing that's easy to me about it is that you know what's behind at each door and you show me a door that's empty and you're always going to show me a door that's empty. You're never going to show me the door with the prize. Yep. So my odds go from being one in three to one in two after you show me the empty door. But only if you switch. Yes. It, only if I switch. If I don't switch, it's still one in three. So I increase my odds by switching. Yeah. Yeah. So like there's a crazy actual mathematical equation for like why this is a thing. But like, yeah, that's a simple way of describing it. But even after telling like this is another one I like to I like to talk about when I'm drunk is even when people know that the risk of having the right door and moving into the wrong one is too strong of like a thing for someone to do. The regret of having it right and switching into wrong, they can't handle. So they would rather be consistent and wrong than to jump and be wrong. Yeah, where, whereas I would rather make the smart move and be wrong <laughs> than make the dumb move and be wrong. Exactly. It all comes back, like when we say risk it to get the biscuit. And I know like this saying it, and I was saying this at the beginning, I feel like it gets thrown around. It's just like, a party thing, like, hey, like make these like small things. But I think it's, it's really interesting because we've taken this thing that's just this kind of playful, this play on words to talk about like, hey, sometimes you need to take risks. And we've now gone through like a bunch of different examples where people have different views of what risk is, what it means, how risk tolerant people are. You don't want to play Russian roulette for any amount of money. I'd probably play Russian roulette for like ten million dollars. <laughs> like you just you just see like the like these crazy ranges of what people are willing to accept. Oh, and, and then looking at the factors that adjust people's willingness to accept risk. So there's a thing called risk compensation theory, which is this idea that people will take a bigger risk if they have a perceived level of safety. People drive faster when they're wearing a seatbelt. For myself. I will do crazier things on my skateboard when I'm wearing a helmet. This is interesting. I feel like I get this sometimes when you have like a guide or an instructor with you. It's like, oh, I might take more of a risk snowboarding or skiing if I have an instructor or a guide with me to bail me out. Exactly. So I see this all the time also with people in their technology. Oh, I don't have a case on my phone. I have the extended warranty. Psychopath. Or in, in terms of insurance, right? Insurance is the counter to risk. Insurance only exists because of risk. So I have theft insurance on my car, so I leave it parked on the street. I mean, I, could, I feel like that gets thrown around a lot too. Like you ever hear, you ever say something to someone like, oh, it's insured. Totally, because they feel they have this amount of safety, so they're willing to take this greater risk. Um, there's an argument that in uh, mixed martial arts that they shouldn't wear gloves. They should be bare knuckle. And the reason is that it poses greater risk. So people will do less things that can cause further injury. So right now you have gloves on and you can punch some, and people will just punch each other in the head as many times as they want. But if you remove that glove, now when I punch you, it can hurt my hand. So now I'm actually less likely to hit you in the head because I don't have protection on my hand. Two of my uncles played rugby all growing up and they used to make this exact same argument. It's like, I don't play football because it's too dangerous. And people look at rugby and they're like, are you kidding me? Like they're in full equipment playing football and you guys are wearing nothing. And the argument from them is like, yeah, because you have no equipment on, you are not going to go like destroy someone with a hit because like you don't feel safe making that hit. 
So like you get more people wrapping people and like going for safe tackles because they don't have any protection themselves. Exactly. Where you, you give someone a helmet and shoulder pads and they are willing to run full speed at someone else that's running full speed head to head. <laughs> yeah. So risk compensation theory is just another element of risk to throw on the pile that we've just created here. We've got safety risks, financial risks, societal risks, environmental risks. We have these studies that say people are willing to take higher risks when they're in control versus when they're not. We have people that will take greater risks when they feel there's some safety. Like there's so it's so much more complicated than I thought it was. So when I asked you that question of what is risk? It's everything we just talked about and we still didn't even scratch the surface. Absolutely. So risk it to get the biscuit. Are you still going to say it when you're drunk? Yeah, probably. It's, it's just in my it's in my uh, vocabulary when I'm drunk. But I mean, I already told you, I asked you two very deep risk related questions that I say that I ask everyone when they're drunk. So risk is a topic that I love to talk about. So I, I might now actually use risk it to get the biscuit to help me get into the more deeper conversations that I want to talk about and be that guy at the party. I mean, that's what I would do too. (laughs) Um, In terms of sober Sam, I think I'd still give people the same advice on risk. Make sure you've, depending on the size of the risk, of course, make sure you've really thought out all the possibilities so that you know what your outcomes are so you're not surprised even if it doesn't go your way. Know your risks. And then take them. Risk it to get the biscuit. That's being Curiosity Killed It. We release new episodes every Thursday, so subscribe for weekly content. And if you have a saying you want us to completely ruin, leave a review and tell us which one. Or you can let us know on Twitter, at Curiosity Killed It.